So I started to work for a local PBS station and I was doing recording shows, doing the satellite feeds, those type of things. When a position came open at the college that I was at for a distance education person, basically all this person was supposed to do was facilitate with you know, office product and someone else would be teaching it, but this person would be helping in the background. I applied for the job, didn't get it. I had read an article that said, if you don't get a job, you should call for feedback. So I said, okay, so I called one of the panel members and, and I said, you know, what could I have done better? How could I get this job if it comes up again? And she told me, she said, we actually thought you were too technical for the job. Keep in mind, I had never studied any computer science ever. I was all self-taught. And she said, if the job comes open in the computer science department, we think you should apply. So about a month later, a physician came open for help desk. I interviewed and they hired me that day. And that was kind of the beginning of being in IT. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my new friend and colleague, Dr. Brandy Anderson. Brandy joined Google Cloud in September of 2019 as the Global Security Practice Lead for Professional Services. She has more than 18 years of both public and private sector information security experience. As a security researcher with a PhD in cyber administration, Brandy's passion involves organizational leadership in incident response, critical path issue resolution, relationship management, and risk mitigation. She's been an information security officer. She's managed a security operations center, a few actually. And in her current role at Google, Brandy collaborates with product, go-to-market, legal, and incident response teams, along with Google's customers, aka many of us, to drive delivery of world-class cloud services. So the way that I asked Brandy to join me on this episode was a bit unusual. I had never met Brandy before. I came across her LinkedIn profile and found myself very interested, pseudo obsessed. And I asked Brandy if she would consider joining me on the podcast. I had shared a post uh, about Spark Mindset, an organization with a vision to break the cycle of poverty in low-income communities. Uh, Spark Mindset offers educational programs to give kids, particularly kids of color and girls, opportunities to learn and earn credentials in the field of cybersecurity. And when I wrote this post, Brandy, whom I had never met before, uh, wrote me a LinkedIn message and said, Caroline, I'm very interested in sponsoring a student for a Spark Mindset cyberspace camp. Um, and so we got to talking. Um, and so this is really my opportunity to get to know Brandy the same as yours uh, for all of our listeners. So Brandy, thank you so much and welcome to our podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to speak with you, Carolyn. It's my pleasure. Brandy, I wonder if you would start out by telling us a little bit about yourself as a young person 
how you thought about what you might study and how you began your career. So I think in today's terms, the most common phrase, I would be a free range child, pretty much roamed the neighborhood, knew all the neighbors, brought home treats from, from all the old people, bags of cherries, oranges, that type of thing. I'm growing up in a small town. I think you have some of that advantage, especially when I was growing up. As I grew up, my father owned a business in town, and, and so he would always make us work. So my first job when I was 12 was working for him as a system administrator for his System 36, um, which basically entailed I sat at a desk, people printed out reports, I tore them off and took them around everybody. And then I would put the big floppy, those huge IBM disks in to back up once a week. And that was, that was my first 12-year-old job. When I was 14, I was a twirler for the local band. And we were going to do a car wash. And so we went to a local radio station to do a public service announcement. And I fell in love. I, I just adored it. And so this, this poor station manager, I called him every week, every week. Do you need anybody to help you? Do you have any shifts open? Are you looking for any DJs? <laughs> and finally, he gave in. He just, he gave in. He said, if you can get your parents to agree, because I didn't have a driver's license. And so they have to bring me to work. He said, if you could agree, get their parents to agree, then I have a shift for you Sunday morning, 6 a.m. to noon. So, you know, I went to my dad and my dad said, yes, I will take you. So I started as a DJ. Uh, it wasn't until much later that I heard my, that my dad had been bragging to people about that, uh, that I had, you know, had that tenacity and gone after the job. And even though he had to drive me, the, those are the kind of things you don't hear from your dads very often. So I actually went into school, into college to be in radio and television because I had done that all through high school, and that was where I, I started in college. But I learned right away that if you weren't a big-name person, you actually didn't make much money in radio and television. And so um, I hadn't quite finished my career, and I moved back home and started an advertising agency. And I kind of did that. And computers became a part of ad work. Um, it was designing flyers, designing those type of things. Uh, to distribute on door handles and for, you know, ads in the newspaper, et cetera. And somewhere along the line, I decided I was kind of done with that, right? It was a lot of work. I had people on retainer and, and it was too much with a, a baby. And so I started to work for a local PBS station and I was doing recording shows, doing the satellite feeds, uh, those type of things. Um, when a position came open at the college that I was at, for a distance education person. And basically all this person was supposed to do was help with the facilitate with you know, office product and someone else would be teaching it, but this person would be helping in the background. I applied for the job, didn't get it. I had read an article that said, if you don't get a job, you should call for feedback. So I said, okay, so I called one of the panel members and and I said, you know, what could I have done better? How, how could I get this job if it comes up again? And she told me, she said, we actually thought you were too technical for the job, which keep in mind, I had never studied any computer science ever. I was all self-taught. And she said, if a job comes open in the computer science department, we think you should apply. So about a month later, a position came open for help desk. 
I interviewed and they hired me that day. And that was kind of the beginning of being in IT. So, <laughs> so it was that evolution of you make the joke that you hear that people have three or four careers in their life. I had three or four careers before I was 30 <laughs> till I finally found my niche to be IT. And, you know, once I started there, I just, I was obsessed with networking. And, and so once I got into networking, it was just continuing to evolve um, in my career. That is so fantastic. I have this wonderful mental picture of you as a young girl twirling and then also, you know, working with computers. And thank you so much for for sharing this with us. I think it's fascinating, actually, how in many technology and information security leadership roles, things that I expect are actually pretty relevant to things like radio and television, things like us doing this podcast today, end up being opportunities for things that we can do. I wonder, actually, as both a mom and as someone who initially applied for a distance education role, if you would mind sharing some of your thoughts on the state of the world today and what things might look like for schools and for teachers and for students. I wonder if you have any musings on remote and distance learning that you'd like to share with our audience today? You know, it's interesting when you think about distance education and, and this online and, and how we, we kind of pulled kids out of school suddenly and, and as we went into quarantine. The exciting thing for me is our education system, if you really step back and look at it, it's 150 plus years old, right? It's We've been teaching kids the same way forever. In the past well, two decades, you know, uh, online schools have popped up and charter schools and some things have tried to make a difference and approach education in a little bit different manner. But in the end, we still are very much doing it the same way we always have. I think this time gives us that potential to change so many things in ways that we have never been able to. But this is like a critical mass moment where you can say, at this critical mass in time, we, we've realized that kids can be trained a different way, that kids can do online education and they can complete a four-week in-person class in a week because you filter out some of the noise and you filter out some of the other things that occur. Obviously, there's still questions about socialization and the, and the other things that pop up. But what I'm really hoping we get out of this is a better way to teach kids than how we've always done it. You know, that's my biggest hope from this and from distance education and the online that a lot of families are struggling with and working with today. Uh, We still need teachers. Obviously we need teachers more than ever, but I think teaching, having teachers learn to teach students in a way that reaches them more directly because everyone doesn't learn the same. We've always known that, yet we've always taught them the same. So that, those are kind of some of my hopes out of this and some of my thoughts on the distance education and where we are today from quarantine. Cool. Thank you so much. I have a five-year-old daughter. I think about kindergarten for her in the fall. I've begun to do some homeschooling activities with her and Prior to lockdown, I had never been a parent that was interested in homeschooling, but I do find to my pleasant surprise that 
obviously I can sort of work at her pace, which is something that's really cool. So Brandy, thank you for allowing me to go off on a bit of a tangent. I'd like to return to your career story. You find yourself too technical for a job that you applied for. You find yourself in an IT help desk position. What did your move into information security look like? So (laughs) I I have to say this is probably a more embarrassing story than um, others. (laughs) So I I had worked for a city government and I had been brought on to work for their uh, police network. And so I had to adhere to the CJIS standards and uh, a bunch of that is we built a new server environment for them and got them off of old coax and a BMS system into um, a Novell netware, actually. <laughs> so we got them out. I keep dating myself. I'm going to keep talking about this stuff and everybody's going to go, wow, she really is old. <laughs> but anyway, we were moving them over into Novell and, and deploying uh, laptops in the car, those type things. So I was still considered a senior network administrator at that time as I was building out all of this kind of background information. And the real story is I was walking through the data center one day and there was a piece of paper on the floor and I picked it up and it was the pay stub of someone in the department that I didn't necessarily have a great amount of respect for. (laughs) And I was irritated. (laughs) And so I was perusing the help wanted and I found an information security position. And so I applied and and then I promptly forgot about it. Um, I was happy with my job. I was doing what I loved. I was making a decent living. I was a single parent at that time. And so you always have in the back of your mind, right, making your life better for your kids. And But things were going well. And, and so about two months later, <laughs> they called me for an interview. And by that time, of course, I was, I had completely forgotten I had applied. And I, <laughs> so I went and interviewed and I honestly, I, I didn't really want the job. So I kind of went in and I had that interview where you don't really care if you get the job or not, where you're kind of, you know, you just say it how it is. And they hired me. <laughs> so so there I went and I became the, their first information security officer and security manager for the group. From there on, I've been in information security. Because once I got in, then I've, I didn't even think it was possible to love something as much as I loved IT. And then I found information security. And so I've never looked back. That's an incredible story. I love it so much. And I think that <laughs> I actually, in a different way... I remember when I first found out how much some of these individuals were making and I had tremendous respect for some and a little bit less for others, but what a great piece of information. You know, I think that it is, it is important. I think it's important to acknowledge the economics of the industry that we work in. The fact that cybersecurity has high demand and relatively little supply when it comes to talent, particularly technical talent. And so Brandy, that's just, that's fantastic. I'm curious to know as an information security officer, I expect that you have quite a broad range of responsibilities throughout your career. As I've observed it, it seems as though you've been really drawn to monitoring and response. And I'm curious to know, what is it about that particular area of InfoSec that you really like and that you have found yourself drawn to time and time again? So that's easy. I think in the end, I'm a firefighter. 
and, and that's, I think, why I'm drawn to security and response, where the your blood gets boiling. I, I'm an operational person. I, I live for the 3 a.m. phone calls and the and the heck breaking loose. And <laughs> um, and so I think that's probably why, as opposed to, so if I were to, you know, contrast that with, say, compliance or the regulatory side or, you know, some of the other things, it doesn't get your heart pumping. It, it It's not as enticing and exciting and interesting and and I know that there's probably compliance people out there that are very upset at me right now <laughs> like oh no this is outstandingly fun when you're spending hours in legal paperwork I don't know what you're talking about but <laughs> but um that's really what's drawn me is is I really like that the critical decision making and the in the processing through the data and and making those split second decisions um, only to find out in 10 minutes, you have a whole new set of data and the decision is now different. It keeps you on your toes. And I think it keeps a certain edge to, you know, you always have someone attacking and, and considering when it's important and when it's not. And then when you miss it, the heartbreak, right? The heartbreak of the call that says, now you've got a problem and you have to deal with it. But rallying the troops because no one else is going to do it. I think that's so cool. I myself started on the GRC side of things um, and kind of moved into application security and personally always found myself resistant to taking on responsibility in the particular area of monitoring and incident response because I thought to myself, gosh, I don't want to be the one having to deal with 3am phone calls. (laughs) And so I think it's just so great that, you know, throughout the industry, there are different things that drive each of us. And I think it's so amazing to hear your passion for your work uh, shine through in the way that you speak about it. Brandy, you later pursued a master's degree and a PhD. And I'm curious to know why you chose to do that and what impact you think that had on your career and on maybe the type of work that you were doing, how did that change the work that you did? Because from what I understand, by the time you decided to pursue those paths of higher education, you actually had tons of hands-on experience. I, I think that some might assume that you wouldn't sort of need that level of higher education, but but certainly you chose to invest the time, invest the effort. And so I'd love to hear about your reflections on your choices and what that looked like and felt like for you. I would say that if you've read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, I would say that I squarely fit into one of the models that she has spoken of. I had already started my education when that book came out. I might have even finished one of them, my master's, fitting squarely in that mold of saying, as a woman, I felt the need to prove that I knew what I knew, right? So, <laughs> and, and I think that that's, once I read it, I hated that I was that person. I didn't realize it until, you know, she kind of called it out as something that women do, that we tend to overeducate because we have this need to prove that we know what we know much more so than men, which, which whether speaking to whether that's right or wrong, I just call it from her book and from her research that I fell completely into that trap. I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot. There were certain things I wanted to do. So I, I got my master's because I did 
you know, my bachelor's had nothing to do with computer science. And so I did feel the need to go back and really shore up my information security skills. So my master's was really part of that. Sure, I had the experience, but I also wanted to understand foundations and theories and Diamond's model of you know, things. I mean, there were obviously academic pieces that were missing from my hands-on experience. So I did want that. So my master's degree was really more about that. And then it also expanded because I had not worked in AppSec or any of those. So it gave me the potential to learn more about how different pieces of the field worked because I went help desk to network to information security, right? So I, I had this kind of study and I did servers in the middle of that, but it was all part of, you know, getting to information security. So it gave me that more, I felt rounded. I had had basic GRC just as it related to anything I had to do for meeting audit or so all of those things were pieces that I needed that were added back in. Um, and that's where my master's. Now, when I went to get my PhD, I actually was struggling between a law degree or my PhD because part of me wanted to get a law degree to be to work in expert testimony. And I had always been interested in the law. At one point in time, I flirted with um, applying to the FBI and as everyone did when you know, Scully and Mulder were on. But, and actually my undergraduate, I had a minor in criminal justice. And so I, I really had toyed with that. And I finally decided to go ahead and go the PhD route and see what happened. And so my first two classes happened to be business law and cyber law. And after I had those two classes, I was so glad I didn't go to get a law degree because I was so tired of writing brief things and <laughs> doing legal research that that I that I was I was so glad I made the decision that I made <laughs> to move on into a PhD, but it was it really was around that and and continuing on with the education, continuing on with learning as much as I could in the field to continue to rise up in information security and to be that employee that could be depended on and had that well rounding educational and even in areas that I didn't have such a strong background in. I had been exposed to and had to do some significant research around. I am so impressed. And I I just think that your story is such an amazing example of the capability in each of us to do so much that we don't even necessarily realize maybe there until we try. Brandy, thank you. That is amazing. I'm curious to know if you would share with our listeners sort of a day in the life of Dr. Brandy Anderson. And I'll ask you to to choose a day and it could be from your time at Google or Splunk or HP. What does a day look like for you? So my day used to look like I would get up at whatever time somebody first called about some issue <laughs> and roll into you know dealing with whatever's happened, um, having meetings about it, calling meetings, setting up remediation tasks, dealing with containment, those type things that are traditional security operations to flow into more and more it becomes about day in the life is is unfortunately a lot of meetings. <laughs> it uh, you know we have a lot of client meetings, steering committees, working with what is the solution going to be, uh, reviewing technical design documents. How do we best 
put together packages that customers are interested in? Um, what does our IP and assets look like? And those kind of things kind of roll in. I think as I, as I allude to moving up in an organization, your days become more about how you're planning out the future and the roadmaps and the strategic, the tactical and strategic items. You have a tipping point where you lose tactical and become more strategic as you continue to rise through different organizations. If I think back at my time at HP, I was probably much more tactical, growing to strategic as I went into research and then you know, picking up to some more tactical and strategic as I've moved through different roles at different companies. But most of my days in the life are, are a, a compilation of those things as I've to figure out what the next thing is, whether it's the next incident to solve or the next, you know, roadmap or the budget for 2021. <laughs> Those are, unfortunately, I wish I could say I had a really exciting day in the life, but it, it just depends on the day and what's, what's happening in this field. Same. I, I can certainly relate. I have days full of meetings and then I try to block time off to do whatever it is that I need to do, whether that's focus on building something or spending time uh, with my kids. Thank you, Brandy. You know, one of the things we talked about as we were preparing for today's discussion, you brought up the topic of bosses. Each of us, unless we are the CEO of our own company, has a boss. And I'd love to hear what you think about bosses. Good bosses, not so great bosses, the difference that having a great boss can make. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, the, there's the cliche, right? You, you join a company and you leave a manager, you leave a boss. Um, and, I, and I do believe that's very true. I've been very fortunate that I've had some truly wonderful bosses, truly mentoring, incubative bosses that encouraged me to grow. When, when I was a security manager, an information security officer, I, they had just introduced the new bridging feature, network bridging feature in Windows. And, and I was testing it out <laughs> and I brought down the entire wireless network in the, uh, in the library <laughs> that I was, cause we, our offices were underneath the library and um, my boss came in <laughs> and, he, and he was like, all right, so here's a firewall. It is now yours. <laughs> we're going to put this in your office <laughs> and everything you do, you do on this side of the firewall. <laughs> and and I mean, there's so many other ways that he could have responded, but he said, I, I get that you are need to experiment. I get that you need to do these things. I get that you're testing out the capabilities to know what we need to, you know, regulate it not. So here's your box. <laughs> and and um, obviously that could have gone in so many other ways, you know, and, and then I've had bosses that, ins you know, that insisted that I was in every meeting to understand what was going on and then have an opinion. and. I've, you know, had bosses that I didn't think liked me that I would find out later that, that they, you know, that they just recognized the things I was good at. And while I thought I was being penalized, I, I, I had one particular conversation. I had one boss twice in my career, five years apart, which is kind of strange because you think about how much you grow in a five-year period. And then you get a boss that remembers you from five years earlier. And so, you said it's, it's, you know, you, it's suddenly like when you move back in with your parents, you're suddenly 18 again or 17 again, even though you may be an adult. 
you because you have this you know I'm, I'm really not this person anymore but uh, but to uh kind of defer to that but I was so mad because I knew it was going to take I had built up some teams and I had found some functions and and you know really created a nice organization and so I was talking to him and he was like, I don't understand why you're so mad at me. I said, well, because I know you're about to take half my team away from me. And he said, yes, but here's why. He said, I know what you're good at. What you're good at is finding problems and solving them, which is what you did with these teams. And now I have to right size it. They don't belong with you. They belong in other organizations. And he was 100% right, but, but not understanding his, his philosophy or his thought around it. <laughs> had caused me to be a little stressed about it and to you know and to feel like I was being punished or <laughs> and um once I understood that and I started to get that from him it, it made all the difference because it wasn't it wasn't about me he was doing the right thing and ultimately I knew that but you have those moments where it's like why me <laughs> why are they after me but you know and you have those bosses that are horrible I've had bosses that were new that um, there's an old Steve Jobs, or it's accredited to Steve Jobs, that is, why would you hire smart people and then tell them what to do? And, you know, and you, I've had those bosses. And, you know, my dad always said, you were looking for a job when you found this one. And so life is too short to, to live in situations where, you know, you're just literally not happy. And my husband always says, you can be right, you can be dead right. So, if you're fighting for a cause and you're dead right, but in the end, you're right, but you're going to be dead right, meaning you're going to go nowhere else in the company, you're going to burn political capital, you're going to step on too many feet, and so you might as well leave. Um, all those things start to play into how you directly relate to and, and deal with your managers. Um, as I said, I've been so fortunate I've had more good than bad, but we've all had bad. And um, it's one of those hard things to get past when you're really struggling in the middle of it. Um, sometimes it's hard to see a way out. And I, I really try to keep, you know, like I said, what my dad said in mind of finding, finding another job. Life is too short to live under those circumstances. I agree completely. I'm really pleased that you chose to share your stories with us. I think that I know of many different information security professionals who at one time or another have a bad boss and wonder if it's them and right. it's not. There's a book that I like called The Four Agreements. And one of the agreements in the book is not to take things personally, uh, which I think can be really hard to do. And, but, I, and yeah. I think I think it's hard. I think and and I, I hate to I hate to do this because this is another thing that drives my husband crazy is I, I, I will say I think women take stuff more personally and he gets mad at me. He goes, You're you're just a, you're just a person. Quit trying to make it female or male. And there is some of that that's true, but I do think that we that we women compartmentalize less than men do. <laughs> As a manager managed mostly men, and I see that they compartmentalize very well usually. Um, between work and home and personal and business and and that's a skill that you have to learn that I've had to develop over the years and and the story with my one manager is exactly that not compartmentalizing when I should have 
and not realizing that it wasn't personal. And um, that was actually one of the lessons I learned from that is that that it's not personal. Brandy, are there any other reflections that you'd like to share with us about your work, about your career, particularly as a woman in a field that is predominantly filled with men? When I think about being in this field as a woman, it's a few years ago when when I spoke at my one of my college graduations, it was what I think 11% women were in information security. I think now I've heard it's 20, 21%. We've, we've kind of bridged a little bit more of that gap. It's hard to, to think about that and say, well, if you're a woman, this is a great field to be in and you need to jump in. Most of my time in information security, I've been more on the networking side, which is definitely a, a more male-driven area. And, and I think that you know, one of the things that I always was, thanks probably to my dad, is as a, as my, my guy girl. <laughs> um, so I, I had mostly male friends growing up. I, and, and that just was my tendency to hang out with more guys than women. And so I never really, you know, I approached it as I was always one of the guys. I did have a boss one time, some of my colleagues went into her office and were talking about something and something was said about me. I don't know what, but she made them all go to sensitivity training. (laughs) And I didn't know this until I was actually leaving that position. And I was mortified. I was absolutely mortified that she did that. I know she did it to be helpful, but in my mind, it was one more recognition that I wasn't just one of the guys because obviously they all had to attend. I didn't, and I didn't know anything about it. Um, and so I think as managers, it's, it's hard to, to treat everybody the same, but not to treat everybody the same. And that's the fine line we walk of, of recognizing the strengths and the weaknesses. And that's really what I've tried to focus on myself is what are the strengths and the weaknesses of the individual as opposed to, you know, who they are, or what they are, what are the things that they do really well? And then how can I tap into that that makes the whole team successful, regardless of, of race or sex or anything? Because in the end, what makes us all successful is for the good of the company. And so I try to focus on that. And to your point, we, you know, we spoke earlier a little bit before the call. Um, I don't want to focus on being a woman in InfoSec. I want to focus on what we all can do to make the industry stronger. But I do want to encourage women to be in IT completely. Um, and, and so it's, it's not even about just our field, but I do want to encourage women to join the club. It is a club. It is a fun club. And it can be whatever you help drive it to be. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I think that it's extraordinarily valuable to hear about your experiences, your stories, your reflections, and we can all learn from it. Thank you, Brandy. Um, As a concluding question for you, what's, what's next for you? What do you think your future career might hold? It's that's an interesting question. It's, you know, I am loving uh, Google right now. I have to say in all of my career, 
you know, even being a part of meetings and having conversations and having a strong viewpoint about things, I did feel the need to be very aggressive um, to get my point across. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of joked to people that I you know, sometimes felt like I needed to jump on, up and down on the table to make sure I was heard. Um, Google is the first place I've ever worked, even with great bosses, that I can walk into a meeting, give my opinion, know it was heard, even if it's not acted on, it was a source of conversation or analysis, and then, you know, we move on. And I think that that's important to feel like you're heard and to feel like your opinion is there and not a, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. Or, or sure, that's a great point, but uh, John wanted blah. And, and so I'm enjoying that for right now. I'm, I'm liking the culture of that. So, you know, I don't have any immediate plans for anything else right now um, because I am enjoying that. But, you know, somewhere down the road, I, I might go back to looking at CISOs and, and to looking back into some smaller organizations where you have more of a direct impact as a CISO or you're more day-to-day hands-on. Uh, those are really the type of positions I enjoy. Larger organizations, CISO, I think sometimes they're a little spread out. They get very webby and they become more political than really having the fun of InfoSec. And that's really what I'm in it for. I'm in it for the fun. I'm in it for the ways that we really make a difference in the field and in the security profile of a company as opposed to you know, the, the political of fighting for money every day, <laughs> day in and day out, and slides to the board. So I think, <laughs> uh, I think that's really where I'm at today is I'm happy where I'm at. And then maybe a small to mid-sized company later on. Very cool. I did not know about what you shared with us having to do with Google culture. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, and I, I think that whatever future organization may receive your information security and leadership gifts will be very fortunate. Brandy, thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt.io, a pen testing as a service company. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you enjoy podcasts. And don't forget to say hello. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.